right. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. So we're going to be reading from John 20, verse 24 to 31. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, you may be seated. Thanks, Sarah Jane. Before we pray, I just want to point something out. If you didn't notice, Sarah Jane has, she's wearing a baby and reading the scriptures. It's very, very good. I love that. Babies are not the church of the future. They are the church of now, obviously, and the future. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us here. Thank you, God, for your scriptures where you reveal your heart. You reveal Jesus to us. And we can respond. And your spirit has given us the mind of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this this deep union, this relationship, this intimacy. Lord, may we respond well today by listening and worshiping. We thank you. We're just grateful. Have your way among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Park Hill Church. If you're new, my name is Evan. My wife, Sandy, and I, we have the joy of leading this church. So we finished the Holy Spirit series last week. How many of you were here for that, that three months, yeah, a series on the person of the Holy Spirit. In a month or so, we're diving into the book of Revelation here as a church. And so now, if you notice, we didn't share the vision of the church explicitly because this whole three weeks is the vision series. We're doing a three-week series on why we exist as a church, why Park Hill Church exists. And we like to do this every year in the fall. So this is why we exist. You guys know the difference between a mission statement and a vision. A mission is what we do, what we're called to do. But a vision statement is like, what will we and the world around us look like if we're doing the mission by the power of the Spirit well? Like, what will that look like five years down the road? And we believe in one line that we got right from Jesus and we stuck our city in the line. We believe it'll look like this, in San Diego as it is in heaven. Jesus' prayer that God's kingdom would come right here in our time three plus million people, and we're interacting with many of them per day. We want to see God's will be done in our city, in our time, in our lives, starting here in our hearts. So what does that mean? We unpack it like this. 
We're a community committed to practicing the way of Jesus together in San Diego. And we do this by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus. And there's a third one, doing what he did, doing what he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe as we follow Jesus together, we'll see Jesus' vision continually fulfilled in our time and place. His Father's kingdom come and his will be done here in San Diego as it is in heaven. So today, if you see that, see that first bold word, we're focusing on the be. Be with Jesus. Next week is become, the further is, the third is do. So today we're focusing on what it looks like. What does it look like for a church to be with Jesus or in Jesus' own words, to abide, to remain in him? I want to submit right away, you guys. F- first of all, this, 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 Teaching will be a little longer than normal, just a little bit. It is, it is part one of the vision series, but we think it'll be worth it as the elders because we believe this is where the healing and the belonging you long for is where it comes from. It comes from being with Jesus, experiencing the presence of God in our lives, the power of God. So if you're visiting today and maybe this is new language for you, this, I, I want to be audacious <laughs> and suggest this is what you long for. In a culture of outrage and fear and political distraction and all of that, I think you long for the peace and settledness of heart that can only come from being with the God the New Testament calls the God of peace and being with the King who who Paul calls the Prince of Peace. And as for your neighbors and coworkers, your friends, family who are far from God, people who don't follow Jesus, who aren't in the room today maybe, I guarantee they're longing for the benefits that come with being with Jesus. (laughs) They're longing for the benefits of the kingdom. In Mark Sayers' words, he's a pastor in Australia, our culture right now, we, our whole culture wants the kingdom without the king. We want the benefits of the kingdom, the justice he brings, the healing, the presence, the full restoration of all things and forgiveness. We love it. But the king himself submitting to his loving rule we don't want, but guess what? He's the best part. The King Jesus is the best part of the kingdom. And, 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 and so we long for the King to bring the kingdom. And I guarantee your neighbors who are far from God, they long for the same essential thing that corrupt governments will be brought down. That people would be treated fairly. In other words, justice. That the lonely, the poor would find family and hope. And that every broken heart inside of of you and me would find forgiveness, true forgiveness, a lifting of all shame. I guarantee you there's not one person in your sphere of influence who doesn't long for this. The benefits that come from being with Jesus, right? Living in the presence of God or what Jesus himself calls the kingdom of God. Or in other words, Jesus uses his life to the fullest. Who doesn't want that? Life to the full, meaning, robust true life. Now, some of you Christians in the room, you grew up in church. And so you're thinking, yeah, I know the Bible says Jesus is going to return one day and bring his kingdom then and bring justice and make everything right. But that's future, right? I would say yes. And that's not the full story. What if I told you that Jesus said there was a way to begin experiencing the presence and power of God's kingdom right now? 2022, August, right now experiences kingdom. And it's not a kingdom that eliminates all suffering immediately. It's not just, you know, all your suffering goes away, but it's a way to experience the concrete joy of Jesus amidst the suffering. It's not a way to, to eliminate chaos, to, to suddenly snap your fingers and get rid of discomfort. 
but it's a, it's a way, capital W, way to experience contentment and peace amidst chaos. Even if you've been a Christian for a while, it's really good to be reminded of this, isn't it? You're sitting here going, oh yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> this is why I come to the bread and the cup of Jesus as a confessing Christian. This is why I'm here. Eternal life is being offered. What if I told you he offers eternal life now? And, and eternal, don't think just length of time, quantity of time, eternal life. Think also, yes, it's that, but it's also quality of life now. This is a life he invites you into, all of you, all of me and you. And he invites us to be with him. That's another way of saying it, to be with Jesus and experience his healing presence, what Jesus calls life in my name now. This is the invite. This is the invite. Who wouldn't, like, I mean, man, we can think of millions of stories of folks that seem to reject, but do they really know? Do we really understand? And so the question becomes, how? How? How do we accept the invitation? If that's the invitation, sign me up. How do I, how do I begin to access Life that is really life. How do I bring my whole life under the goodness of the Prince of Peace, the kingdom and experience his presence and be with him? How do I, how do, I do that? Well, in our passage today, which Sarah Jane read, Jesus sums it up in a very basic term. He gives us how in a very understandable way. And it applies to everyone in this room, whether you are 40 years a Christian or four days a Christian or not a Christian or something in the middle where you're like, I don't even know anymore. It applies to every one of us to open yourself up to the presence of God and to experience Jesus's life to the fullest. You must, in one word from Jesus, you must believe. 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 I know there's a lot of questions maybe in your mind that are kind of percolating, like, well, what if my belief is weak? What if there's cracks in my certainty? What if, I don't know, like, I just don't know if I'm comfortable with the only believe or whatever. That concept, can you really even believe if you don't believe, you know, you overthink it. By believing in Jesus or, or faith or trust, those are synonyms for the word in the Bible in Greek. It's this word that means trust and, and, and belief. By believing in Jesus, we gain access to what Jesus calls life to the full. But what does this mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Does it mean to just believe he existed at one point? Is believing in Jesus the same thing as I identify as a Christian? I'm cool with Jesus. Like I, I identify with the church. Is that believing? Today I'm going to argue that's not quite believing at least not in Jesus' mind. All those, those things are great. It's, it's really great. I hope you believe Jesus existed. It's awesome. And I hope you <laughs> identify as a Christian if you are. That's amazing. But, but I'm, I'm going to argue those things are not belief. In the scriptures and for all of church history, to believe in Jesus meant specifically two things. Are you ready for this? This is a driving point for the whole talk, the whole sermon today. Believing in Jesus means, number one, agreeing with God about God and living accordingly. So one word for agreeing with God about God is called, we call it doctrine. Don't be scared by that word. It just means what the church, how the church has always agreed with God about God. And then it's not just agreement, but there's a life that follows. And we call that 
ethics. Another couple of words for that is orthodoxy and orthopraxy. How many of you heard of those words? Orthodoxy, what God says about himself and how the church says, amen, that's orthodoxy. Orthopraxy is, okay, what does that mean for how we live? These things right here are belief. This is trust. So I'm going to ask you this at the beginning and end of this, this teaching, how are you believing? Because believing is the gateway to being with Jesus. We have the baptism open today. The waters are in the tank. You're ready to be invited to come and say, I believe, I trust in who God says he is, and I choose to live accordingly by the power of the Spirit in this community. Welcome to faith. Welcome to being with Jesus. How are you believing? Jesus said it this way in John 14, 6, same book that we're looking at earlier. He says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. Three things. And no one, there's no other. There's no other. That's what Jesus is saying. How many of you have heard this verse before? So there's a reason why this verse is well known. It's very clear and there's a lot in there. So Jesus is the way. What does that mean? He's like, my, my, my take on reality is the right one. That's what Jesus is saying. The way I see the world is, is the way I invite all of you to see the world created by a triune God for his good pleasure. And you can become his family through faith. This is reality. Jesus saying, I am that way. I show you the worldview. I am the worldview. And what does that mean? How do you, how do you align? How do you align with Jesus' worldview? It's those other two words, truth and life, doctrine, practice, orthodoxy, orthopraxy. We agree with who God says he is and we live like it. This is what Jesus is saying here. It hasn't changed ever since then. All through the scriptures, this is what it means to believe in God, to reflect back to God who he says he is both with our mouth and life. So this is what Christians are talking about when we talk about Believing, okay? And, and so here we, go. here we come to the text. In my opinion, no story in the Bible brings this to life quite like Thomas's story. We call him Doubting Thomas. I just think that's totally unfair. That's my opinion. I don't think that is a fair title for him at all. So we're gonna put the text up on the screen and walk through it very quickly. But just back, background, you guys remember, Jesus is, is dead. He's crucified. He's been crucified. That's very sad. Thomas is grieving. He's very sad. But now he's, <laughs> now God raised Jesus from the dead. Okay? That is an earth-shaking thing if it's true. And then Thomas is hearing this. Jesus is starting to appear to his disciples. And his, the, the other disciples are pumped. But one, this one disciple, Thomas, he didn't get the memo. He wasn't at the Jesus sighting. So verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. It's a bummer. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Okay, there's a ton we could pull out of this. First off, again, Thomas gets a bad rap. I don't think doubting Thomas is fair because when you think of a doubting skeptic, you picture, you know, 
Richard Dawkins or something. You, you picture someone who's mocking or a modern scientific age is like, prove it to me. Show me through a test tube that God exists. This isn't the spirit of Thomas here. He's not, you know, skeptical deconstructing Thomas here, although there is something being stripped away from his soul. So don't think doubting Thomas. Think Thomas is grieving the loss of his beloved here. This is grieving Thomas. This is, or better yet, this is loving Thomas, as A.J. Sabota says. This is loving Thomas. Thomas loved Jesus. Thomas trusted Jesus. And now his heart is broken because it feels like his trust was broken. I mean, imagine your life was supposed to pan out a specific way and the opposite happened. Thomas based his whole life on Jesus, but the worst imaginable thing has happened. Jesus died on a cross, deep grief. So when you hear Thomas saying, you know, unless I see Jesus scars, I'm not going to believe. Don't imagine, you know, some cynical atheist podcast. Unless I see, I won't believe. Think I've just lost the one I love the most and now I don't know what to live for. Yeah, and to add insult to injury, Thomas's friends are claiming to have seen Jesus alive. How dare, how dare they have this conversation? Like Thomas is actually suffering real loss and the disciples are discussing resurrection theology. Have a heart. Just sit with me. This is sad. Don't talk back from the dead. Save it for rabbi school or something. What is going on? This is real. And then watch what happens next. He's not ready. Verse 26, a week later, that's like seven days. That's like Jesus is not in a rush. Jesus is not in, in wherever, like, well, father, one of my disciples, he's, he's doubting. I don't know what to do. What do I do? I got to get down there quick. Uh, seven days meanders by and Jesus they're in the house and behind locked doors and Jesus is like, I'm going to slowly pass through these solid walls, <laughs> you know. And, and, and then he looks at the disciples and Jesus says, peace be with you. And then he turns specifically to Thomas and he says, all right, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Touch my wound. Come close to my scars. I'm getting vulnerable here. Look. Feel. Stop down. You, you can believe it's safe. This is Jesus not proving he exists to Thomas. This is Jesus showing Thomas his wounds. This is what we want. This is what we long for, right? We want to see Jesus through other Jesus followers. Here's my wounds. Here's where I got messed up. Here's where I am messed up. Here's where we can walk with Jesus together. Come touch my wounds. I actually think if, if you're thinking of someone who's struggling in their faith right now, I actually think what they need most is the spirit empowered you who's like, hey, sister, brother, here's my scars. Most of the time they're not looking for some existential argument. And Jesus, hey, I know your grief. I see it. I feel it. Look at my hands. Now be with me. Safe. Stop doubt. You can stop doubting. I know it's hard. You can keep, you can keep bringing your doubt, but you can also do it in a context of trust. And Thomas's response, you guys, Thomas's response is one of the most profound confessions of belief in the entire Bible and church history. And it sets a trajectory. It sets the trajectory we're on now, 2,000 years later, 
for, for life and doctrine. Are you ready for this? Slide 11, do you have this? There it is, my Lord and my God. He says, my Lord, which means my Lord. He dictates my life. He's the benevolent dictator, the loving authority, the good, peaceful king who tells me what to do. And it's always better than my agenda. I believe that. Over my life, my body, my mind, my money, my sex, my power, everything. Jesus tells me what to do. I don't. And that's good. That's the ethics. Jesus is my life. That's the ethics. And he's my God. So he's not just my authority. He's actually like ontologically meaning existing as the only deity. The Trinity is real. Father, Son, and Spirit are real. And they're God in three persons. The second person of the Trinity was incarnate by the Spirit through the Virgin Mary. And this is what the church has believed. This is God. So Thomas knew who God was. God was Yahweh Elohim of Israel. There's only one of those, right? For Jews, there's only one. And yet he's calling Jesus God. What is he saying? He's on track for the Trinity here. He's preaching doctrine. He's confessing doctrine. So it's who God says God is and how to live. My God, my Lord. That's what this means, you guys. So can I ask again, how are you believing? This, you guys, is ground zero of the faith. We talk about faith as like an act of trust, but actually in the scriptures, there's another way the Bible talks about faith and it's the faith. Not just your faith, my faith, I have faith, be faithful, but the faith. And it's the actual true thing we believe in order to be authentically Christian. God and Lord. God and Lord. He is actually the one true. Listen, God is not the universe. God is not the universe. God is creator of the universe, stands outside and inside. And the second person of that triune Godhead became a man. And Thomas looked him in the face, touched his wounds, because God brings himself to us. And he said, oh, you're not only the God who created all things, you are now the authority of my very person. Who you are and how I live, they're connected, God. Do you understand this? So then Jesus tells him, I, I love this line. <laughs> Look at this, verse 29. Then Jesus says, after he says, my Lord and my God, Jesus is like, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Who's Jesus talking about? Us, you guys. So in, in acting, there's this phenomenon called breaking the fourth wall. You know? You know, it's where the actor, I love Saved by the Bell. I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. So Zach Morris and then Mario Lopez. Whatever happened to the guy who played Zach Morris? I don't know. Mario Lopez, he's still at it. But, but Zach would, Zach had this, Zach Morris had this way of like pausing the movie and then talking to the viewer. He's like, hold up, record scratch. And then he'd talk and he'd give you the real plot. This is Jesus in a sense. I know this is a little bit of a stretch, but it kind of is true. This is Jesus pausing the, the moment in a sense and saying, Thomas, you're blessed. But it's almost as if he then looks into the camera lens and says, Thomas is blessed for believing with seeing, but blessed 
are those who've not seen and yet believed. And so Jesus is pointing directly at his global, future, worldwide, orthodox, historic church family over 2,000 years plus and counting. And he's saying, hey, everybody in San Diego, hey, everybody in Germany and South Korea and North Korea and Sudan, everyone who confesses Jesus as Lord, look at Thomas right now. He's my beloved. See what he did. See what he did. Belief is doctrine and ethics. It's who God is and how we live. He just said that. So now every one of my beloved is going to say the same thing. And you'll be blessed. You'll have my presence. I will be with you. I will be with you. You will be with Jesus. So how are you believing? How are you confessing? So there's another famous moment, just to hit the brakes on the Thomas story. There's another moment in Peter's life where this same thing happens. So in Matthew 16, Jesus says, who do people say that, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, same thing. You are the Messiah, which is a Jewish word for king, anointed king, that's authority telling me how to live. The son of the living God, that is his divinity, who God is. So you have a correct confession of who God is. God is not the universe. God is a person who is triune, who is incarnate in Jesus as the second person of the Godhead. That's who you are. And now you are my authority, my Messiah. My, you tell me how to live. Your teachings are my authority. I am not my own authority. So same, same two, one-two punch. Do you see this? You see this here. So, and then Jesus responds. He kind of does that break the fourth wall thing again. <laughs> and he says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon. This is, this is true. It, you, my father revealed this to you, not just flesh and blood. And then verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. He's talking to the, ch they're like, what is the assembly? What's even, <laughs> who knows what they were thinking he meant at the time. They probably had an idea because Jewish you know, towns had elders that would gather in the city gates and they'd make decisions for the township and all that. But, but he's saying, Jesus is saying, I have a church. I have a church. I have an assembly. Guess what the word church means, you guys? Church. Like an institution. Actually, so, so Evan, are you saying Jesus planned to create the institution called the church? Yes, actually, no, I'm not saying that Matthew is. Jesus says, on this rock, I'll build my church. And the word church, it means this assembly. It literally means in Greek, the gathering, the assembly. So, so Jesus planned the church. Are you saying Jesus planned the institution? And I, and, and I know that word institution has a lot of negative baggage these days, but guess what? An institution is just a group of people that agree on values. So you can have one like in a bar on Tuesday nights. A bunch of guys that get together or whatever, a bunch of ladies that get together, a bunch of people. Or you could do that in a mega building or you could do it at a beach. A bunch of people gathering together around a set of values, around a set of values and, and agreeing to them in, in, with a social contract is an institution. And, and so, so don't be afraid of that word. What we're really afraid is the abuse within the institution. And we should be ready and praying for God to judge arrogant, narcissistic, abusive leaders. As a matter of fact, Yahweh in the Old Testament has choice, punishment. His worst language is reserved for guess who? Israel's priesthood that is actually feasting off of the poor in Israel. 
So please hear me. Jesus will judge the church, especially abusive leaders. We're going to see him already judging first century churches when we hit Revelation, right? Letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Anyone, am I right? Five of those seven churches didn't have a happy letter from Jesus. So, so Jesus' judgment starts in this church. It starts here, guys. But make no mistake, the church was 100% planned by Jesus. He wasn't like a floating hippy-dippy rabbi telling people to love one another and picking flowers randomly without any other parameters or plan of organizing. No, Jesus intended the gathered church to be his imperfect yet spirit-filled body all over the world. And so we see this in, with Peter and Matthew and, and with John and with Thomas in the Gospel of John. This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking almost over the heads of his first followers into the future of his church, saying, hey, this, this church, this, what Thomas and Peter are doing, my Lord and my God. So, so by saying God, this is who you say you are. By saying Lord, you're saying I will live accordingly. Doctrine and ethics. Jesus has a way that is both truth and life. By saying that, this is what it looks like to be the true family of Jesus in the world. To, to deny those things is to, even if you identify as a Christian, is to be something other than what 2,000 years of church history has identified as authentically Christian. It's a big deal. So, so ever since Jesus making these confessions and, and Thomas and Peter, the church is the family of Jesus made of flawed, imperfect, forgiven and forgiving people who both speak and live my God and my Lord. Do you see those two things? Who God says he is. We don't make it up. God is not the universe. And my Lord, I don't tell my own body what I get to do. Jesus does. And his agenda is better and I trust him for it. And, and Jesus, it's not just rules. He actually says this is reality. I'm the way. My worldview is the one that works because it aligns with reality. So guess what? Jesus is actually pointing us to life that is full. This is the fullest life. And to make this crystal clear, immediately after the Thomas moment, I kind of, I really like what happens in the text in John 20. So if Jesus broke the fourth wall, then picture the movie stopping and then the camera pans out through the TV screen and now the narrator turns to you because that's what happens. Look, verse 30, John pauses and now John says, by the way, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may what? Believe. Believe what? That Jesus is Messiah. That's, remember, the word for king and authority, anointed Lord. He tells us what to do toward eternal life. And he's also the son of God. He's divinity. He's not just my authority. He is actually the only God there is. And why? Jesus gives the why. What's that last line? Can we all read it together? And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Life that is truly life. So today, August 7th, first Sunday of the month, baptism Sunday, right? So the invitation for all of us is to believe. How are you believing? And if you've never been baptized, it's very clear how to work out that belief today. Come be baptized. 
step into the waters of baptism, like today, and say yes to the goodness of Jesus over your life in front of the church that is his family that confesses who he is, who he says he is, not just who we say he is. So you guys, this is our vision series. This is what your neighbors are longing for. This is why we're putting on Alpha for the first time in our church. We want to do Alpha twice a year. We want to see people far from God beginning to flock into Alpha. You guys, we invite all of you to do Alpha, all of you. We would love it to be 90% Christians. We'll just put all the Christians at Christian tables so they don't ruin it for the non-Christians. But seriously, we would love to see people who are not yet Christians have this moment to explore Jesus and realize his goodness and hospitality. And then over time, more and more not yet Christians going, oh, this thing, Alpha, I'm not sure about church, but these Christians are hospitable. And I love being able to ask my questions and not be shamed. This is our vision series. Come be with Jesus. This is why we exist as a church. Hey, I don't follow Jesus because he's just the best choice of figurehead because he has a great reputation and people like him. I I don't follow Jesus because the church is a cool place to meet great people, even though it is. All these things are true. Jesus is the best choice. I don't follow Jesus. I don't even follow Jesus because his vision for human flourishing is the best, most compelling one, even though it is. I follow Jesus. Yes, those reasons are down on the list, but the set of reasons at the top, I follow him because I believe him and I believe in him. I believe who he says he is and I think his authority is out for my good. I trust him. And so guess what? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker, creator of heaven and earth. If you believe this, if this is your creed, let's say this together. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And for Protestant non-denominational Christians, you have to define Catholic. doesn't mean Roman Catholic. It means universal church. Okay, there, good. (laughs) Welcome to non-denominationalism. What we just read, you guys, is what's called, for 2,000 years, what's it called? Apostles' Creed. Very good. You could also call this the essentials the essential doctrines of the faith that we believe, that we faith. There's not a good verb for us faithing. So we say believe. We believe in this faith, who God says he is. This is who God says he is. And ever since the time of Jesus, these doctrines have been considered inseparable from Jesus' ethics, his way of living. And that's where we rub against secularism, isn't it? That's when we rub against you do you 2022. This is, didn't plan to say that, but it rhymed, okay? It's not in my notes. This is, this is where the ethics of Jesus directly conflict the ideologies of our time, which is really 
the, the highest seat of authority is, is you because, yeah, no one wants to be told they're wrong. And it doesn't feel good any, to any age, regardless of ideology. It doesn't be, feel good to be told you're wrong. So, so again, here it is side by side. Thomas's words, my Lord, my God. Peter's words, you're the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus' words, I'm the way, the truth, life. So that's all synonyms. Those are all same. Talking about the same thing. The truth is who God says he is. And the life is live accordingly. And so for 2,000 years, this is the gateway to being with Jesus. This is it. And I'll say it this way. This sounds harsh, but I think we talk like this normally about everything else. In other words, it means this. To be authentically considered Christian is to confess the essential doctrines of Christianity. So if you deny the essential doctrines of the faith and live against the teachings of Jesus, for 2,000 years, that's just, it's normal to consider that not authentically Christian. If, if someone said they believed in Jesus and yet said, identify me as a Muslim, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know what to do with that. It's like, no, you're in, if you think Jesus is Lord, you're by definition not ascribing to Islam. That's normal. It's not judgmental, right? It's just clear. And so, and so to be authentically considered Christian is to confess and live, Jesus is Lord of my whole self, and God only. <laughs> and, and that shouldn't bother, but it does. So the invitation is to believe. Whether you identify as a Christian or not, the invitation is to believe. Become a follower of Jesus. So how are you believing today? Not, do you have questions or are you faltering in your belief? Of course you have questions. Of course you're going to falter. The question is, who are we bringing that stuff to? Who are we bringing it to? If you haven't been baptized, your next step is clear, be baptized. So, so what does this look like when a whole church is committed to being with Jesus by holding to the essential doctrines? We're gonna, we're, I'm gonna finish by just giving you, giving you a practical stuff on this, kinda how to sink your teeth into this. By the way, I hope you're getting a fresh message today. Often in previous vision series, we talk about be with Jesus, become like Jesus, we talk about this. And often how I teach about be with Jesus is like go into the desert, <laughs> Sabbath and silence and solitude and fasting and go be with Jesus, which is all important. And we're gonna talk about that forever. These are the practices, but that's all great. But listen, you guys, there are non-Christian ways to fast. Am I right? There are non-Christian ways to practice silence. I mean, just reading, there, you can read the Bible as a non-Christian, right? And like it, you can even like it. Plenty of Muslims, atheists, people of other religions, they study the Bible and love learning from Jesus. That doesn't mean they're being with him. That doesn't mean they're abiding in the vine or submitting, let alone submitting their bodies to Jesus' rule. So what we're doing today is very intentional and I think very needed. We're going to the foundation of being with Jesus, with these doctrines and ethics. But don't get me wrong, you guys, I'm all about fasting. I do it, at, most of the time I'm doing it every Wednesday and then Sabbath every Friday and then spiritual formation is so important, practices. But listen, apart from the essential doctrines and ethics of Jesus, our spiritual formation practices might as well be just yoga and matcha lattes. Actually, like they're really great for temporary anxiety relief, but there's nothing eternal about them without Jesus. 
And so the reason we push spiritual formation is because we confess Jesus and we're abiding in the vine and now can open ourselves more deeply to Jesus's worldview, his reality, you guys. And then the practices find their meaning. But without Christian doctrine, the practices are disconnected from the life that is truly life, which defeats the purpose entirely. It's a hamster wheel at that point. So, so, what, are the, so what are they? What are the essential doctrines and ethics? How does Park Hill break this down? So, so this is core. And I'm going to kind of finish on this note with a short quote, a couple of quotes at the end to bring us to the table. But I'm going to give you a teaser trailer right now for our basics class. I'm going to rip through a couple of slides that just give you an idea of where God is taking our church in, in, in the faith and in, in how to work out the faith. So there's no, I, there's no time for questions, tons of time for questions about this in basics, August 21st. It'll be really fun. But for right now, tiny appetizer. So here's, here's our question. What does it look like when the whole church is committed to, to the truth and life in the way of Jesus? So a well-known saying about doctrines and beliefs. How many of you have heard this? No one knows exactly who said it. In essentials, unity. That's the essential doctrines. We unify around that. In non-essentials, freedom, liberty. In all things, love, charity, right? So, so that's great, but here's, here's a problem. You guys ready? The problem is, for thousands of years, the global Christian church has shared language for essential doctrines and terms like God. Again, for like 1,850 years, <laughs> the church has said God and meant Trinity, person, actual person, God in three persons. But, but, you know, after a guy named Schleiermacher and 200 years of German Hegelianism, they start to go, maybe God is the universe. And, and they start to kind of play with these words in ways that would be unrecognizable, unrecognizable to the church. And so, so, so God believed Jesus' gospel. That for, for the 95% of church history, we've shared definitions for these things. However, a recent change has taken place in the West. The historically agreed upon Christian essentials aren't the same for people anymore. Now we have to ask and practice listening to hear what each person or what each church considers essentials or non-essentials. So let's, let's try that. So how do, we, how do we even know that we're right on this? How do you know that? Well, there's very clear ways for 2000 years that the church has, has known this. And number one, we can look at the whole of the Bible. And then number two, we can look at how all of church history has read the Bible. We have these things. And see, who is, is involved in both of those points? Do you know who? Specifically, the third, Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit is literally hands-on creating these things. So we confess God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and and. And we believe the Spirit inspires Bible and then the Spirit preserves church. Jesus said that. Not even the gates of hell can stand against us. So, so it's all or nothing on this, guys. It's all or nothing. So, so we look at Bible and history. And so what is, this, what is the essential core of the Christian faith? It's this. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And, and what is that? We believe that we're in need of God's mercy and that Jesus, the perfect God-man, died on the cross for all we've done against God, God's guidance, sin, and that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the gospel. And it's very simple. 
You can expand that. You can reduce it a little bit. Maybe Jesus is Lord is probably the, is definitely the lowest you can go. But, but the simple gospel message is all you need to know to be saved. It's beautiful. Everyone is welcome to be with Jesus. And the simple gospel is all you need to know to respond to Jesus. But we then grow more in knowledge of further teachings. Who is this God? What does he say about how humans work? What has he said to his people, his family, which we then choose to believe that as we learn about them? This is what it means to grow in Christ, right? This is what the gospel it clearly implies, that God is creator. You know, he's not the universe. <laughs> I keep coming back to that because it's weirdly popular now. So God is triune, virgin birth of the second person. He, into the, he's the God-man. He died for sins, rose from grave. Jesus' only way. He's coming back physically. The scriptures are trustworthy all the way through. Question, what are the scriptures trustworthy for? Are they trustworthy to tell us how to mix iron with calcium in a chemistry lab. No, no, it's not a modern science book. Scriptures are not sufficient to, 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 to give us all our scientific hypotheses and answers. That, that, is, that is not what the Bible is for. The Bible is for revealing everything we need to know sufficiently 100% about God and who humanity is in relation to God and what we need to be saved from in the future in God. So, so, so that is 100%. The church is the body of Christ. We believe future judgment, eternal heaven, and we believe there's an unseen realm. That's Jesus's worldview. Again, he has a way. What does this mean for how we live? Here's the how we live part. And again, this is core. Like denying this means you are unrecognizably Christian. You are not Christian in any recognizable way to all of church history. So, so love your neighbor as yourself. With the, with the Spirit's help, we live out the fruits of the Spirit. Yes, this is core. Basically, when you mess up on these things, you're agreeing that this is right. <laughs> and when you confess your sin, you're like, yes, this is right, and I'm not doing it. <laughs> this is good. I keep coming back to the table. And then that third bullet, honoring the covenant of marriage as described by Jesus. He described it in the same way Moses does in the totality of Scripture, that marriage is a one-flesh covenant union lifelong monogamous between two sexually opposite persons, man and woman, and any sex outside of that covenant is pornea, which is incompatible with the way of Jesus. And so that honoring that is central, has always been central to Christianity. And to deny that is to become unrecognizable to church history. So, so uh, obey the Sermon on the Mount and all of Jesus' teachings. I mean, non-retaliating against your enemy not responding to your enemies with violence? My goodness. I mean, that, that rules out human governments almost entirely, right? So, so all human life matters to God from womb to tomb. Every human being is made in God's image, no matter age, race, sexual orientation, gender, or beliefs. Jesus invites all equally to submit our identities to him and receive the new ultimate identity of love, child of God. This is, this is mere Christianity, to quote C.S. Lewis. So, so, okay, this is where it gets fun and interesting and where, where we need to remind ourselves, this is kind of important, but not essential. <laughs> Definitely don't fight over this stuff. Like ways of practicing baptism and communion. There's differences all over the map in the church. Rapture viewpoints, guys. So am I right? We're, we're going to hit Revelation and we will, we'll, we'll see. There, 
you do not, you do not divide over that. And, and yeah, there's plenty of different views. Creation viewpoints. Did God use evolution to bring about his creation and the image of God in the world, human? Or was it a six day extravaganza, <laughs> you know? I don't, I, I don't think, I don't think th that the Bible gives us room to fight with that. I don't think that's the purpose of Genesis 1. Again, what is the Bible sufficient for to reveal God's intention for humanity and his plan for the future and how much we need salvation? Not the chemical makeup of whatever. I, you know what I mean? It's not a science book. I'm not a scientist, as you can tell. Calvinism, Arminianism, like views of free will and salvation. These are in-house, non-divisive. They shouldn't be, at least. Unfortunately, they are. Heaven and hell descriptions. What'll, what it'll look like, what it'll feel like. <laughs> women in ministry viewpoints. You guys, we do encourage at Park Hill, we absolutely encourage women and men to lead alongside one another in all levels of ministry. We encourage that and we empower that. But listen, you don't have to agree with that to lead here. Something I think it's important to say is we ask everyone who leads in Park Hill to agree and live with this, to live in agreement with this. You can join a community, we'll say this at basics, but we'll say a lot more and give you a chance to talk with us. You can, you can look into community life and join a community group as long as you know your leaders will be 100% aligned with this. And if you find disagreement with this, you're gonna have a rough time. But you're welcome. You're absolutely well, where else? Where else are you gonna bring doubts and like dissonance? Where else? It's a church. But this is where we ask all our leaders, and by that I mean everyone in a shepherding role, whether it's a connect desk, worship team, teaching kids, anyone who's directing others in the way of Jesus. So we're going down the list. We're going further from the center here. Styles of worship music. Lyrics are important, but I'm not going to leave this church if we play reggae, even though I think Drew would crush that. Formal and informal dress code in churches. I mean, you might leave if I wear a tie, but I'll still be here. Just kidding. No, order, order of a church, what, where's communities before, after, obscure, non-doctrinal Bible passage opinions. What is that? This is like way out speculative, you know? Did Adam have a belly button? I've never heard of a church dividing over this, but it's worth mentioning. Actual date of Christmas. We did, <laughs> so at, at our Christmas party, at our volunteer Christmas party, we actually did have a game where we divided the room last December over, do you listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving? And there was like the heck no group. And then there was the of course group. And that's all, we just, that's how we framed it. And, and one guy who was super in favor of Christmas music in July, he's like, Christmas isn't even Jesus' birthday. Like that was his main, that was his arguing, that was his point. And, and he's right, okay, probably. I don't know, don't leave the church over that. But do pets go to heaven? Or this is Matt Persley, one of our elders. This is his favorite one. Would God need to redeem E.T.? Sentient extraterrestrials. We have an elder who would want that to be true. He, we debate that off quite often, actually. So, so you guys see what I'm saying here. So, so this is the slideshow, and, but notice what's at the center. The center, essential core beliefs, essential core ethics, my Lord, you have, you, you have authority, not me. It's not me, do me. It's God, you command me. I follow, I obey. If you love me, keep my commands, I love you. Here's the proof my whole life. And when I fail, I come back to the table. Your bread, your cup are sufficient. Forgiveness flows from the blood of Christ. 
because you are God. You're not just a good teacher. You're not just a good religious leader. You're actually like in your essence, creator only. Father, Son, and Spirit, all three together, one God forever, revealed to us uniquely through Christ, who commands me and leads me into life. Can I ask you, is that what you're believing? Do you have the receipts in your life? Here's the receipts. Here's how I'm living. Or sometimes it's, I think part of the reason why it's so easy to paint God as the universe or paint Jesus as an optional Lord. Part of the reason why it's so easy is because it makes it easier to feel good when we sin and not have to confess in a community. And, and when, when that's the very thing that cleanses you and gives you refreshment, repentance is the very thing that heals you. So no wonder we have, of course there's a Satan because he convinces us that repentance is gonna hurt us. He convinces us that coming to the table or, or coming, in, coming into this church and then not submitting to Jesus is going to be an okay way to hide and we can just say grace. In the last gathering, I, I think I said this, approaching the table with that mindset is actually a waste of the costly blood of Jesus. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you can be with him. You can say, my Lord, my God, I come back to you agreeing with who you say you are and what you say about humanity and what you say sin is. I can come to you agreeing with you, knowing I didn't measure up this week and I'm probably gonna fail next week, but guess what? I agree with you and I'm living the unhidden life before you and my community. Come and pour your spirit out into me again. How are you believing? You're invited to believe in that way today. If you're not believing in that way, I would encourage you Repent and believe because the opposite of life that is truly life is eternal death. And the Bible promises those who reject the Lordship of Jesus will experience an eternal death that is separate from life. If Jesus is the only way and life, it only logically follows that rejecting his Lordship and messing around with scripture and trifling with the church, one foot in, one foot out, living the hidden life is actually going to lead you away from life entirely forever. Jesus teaches more about hell than almost any other topic. And it's not just a hell we create in the here and now when we hurt each other. It is also an eternal place, an eternal location of separation from life. It's a ceasing to live. And there's debate over whether it's conscious forever or not, but either way, it is freaking hell. And Jesus invites everyone out of it, every single one of us out of it to confess my Lord and my God and be with him, to be with Jesus, to be with him. You guys, there's, that's what you long for, life that is truly life. So I would ask, I would invite you to come and be baptized if you never have. Confess along with Thomas and Peter and Christ himself that Jesus is Lord. Receive forgiveness at the table after you're baptized. Come, can we stand together? I'm gonna to lead into a song. And as we sing, if you wanna to respond to the gospel, come forward. To my left, there's, a, there's a, a tank with someone that'll stand next to it and just get your name and welcome you. And hear like, why are you here?
and you say, I want to follow Jesus. Do it. Come. We'll lead you into the water. And then after a few minutes, we're going to all eat and drink the bread and the cup. So can we just invite the Holy Spirit who's good? Holy Spirit, would you come? God of life, shine your light. Shine your light on us because it's good. You don't shame. But you do bring justice. So show us where we're holding to injustice. Show us where we're choosing the idol of self-interest over the glory of Jesus. And breathe on our repentance. We repent. Whether that's confessing to someone here in the room that we came with or coming forward and being baptized, we repent and we, ref we seek the refreshment that Jesus brings.